Good morning. My name is Levi Francois and I'm on the team here at Grace. Um, let's just open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this morning. We thank you for um, just all that you've done in our lives. Uh, Father, I just pray that this morning will be about you and nothing else. Amen. So if we go to the next slide. So can anyone tell me what mountain range this is? Yes. This is the Himalayan mountain range, which is home to the highest mountain peak in the world, and that is, it's home to Everest. So if you've been around me for the past six months, you would know that I have absolutely been obsessed with Everest. So the idea, the thoughts behind summiting or climbing to the top of that mountain, they have been some of the most confusing things, some of the the most confusing thoughts to me. And it all started about a few months ago, I was sitting at work and my buddy turned to me and he said, dude, do you know that there are hundreds of dead bodies atop that mountain? And don't judge me, but that fact alone had me hooked. (laughs) So naturally, I stopped working and started doing some research. And um, many of the research was done on my my own time. My my old boss is here, but um, I did look up, (laughs) I was looking up things uh, while I was at work, but in my research, well, first, I was doing so much research that I remember someone coming up to me and saying, hey, Levi, why are you doing so much research? Are you interested in summoning that mountain? To which I replied, absolutely not. <laughs> Two reasons. One, it's below freezing up there. I didn't even like the winters in Haiti. <laughs> and two, there's only been like two black people to ever summit that mountain. <laughs> I do not intend on being number three. Simply not enough representation. Um, But in my research, uh, I found out a couple interesting facts. First, I found out Everest stands at 29,029 feet, which is the cruising altitude of a Boeing 747. I found out that a quarter of people that try to climb the mountain end up dying trying to climb it. Just this past month, this past May actually, There were 11 deaths atop the mountain, making it one of the deadliest seasons of Everest mountaineering ever. And one of the most common causes, one of the most common ways people go out uh, while they're trying to climb the mountain is due to altitude sickness. And what that means is when you are above 26,000 feet, mind you, it's 29,000. When you're above 26,000 feet, you are in what they call the death zone. And what that means is the the oxygen content is so low up there that your body is literally shutting down during the time at which you are at that altitude. So you are literally dying within that period of time. They say that if they take untrained individuals like you or me, and they would transport us immediately from right here to the top of that mountain, we would have 30 minutes before we would succumb to the high altitude. And the people that do successfully climb the mountain, because there are some, there are many actually, um, 
it's so extremely cold up there that when they come back, or actually while they're up there, they experience such extreme frostbite that they come back with missing digits, toes, fingers, gone. Now, I am convinced that I can catch frostbite in 70-degree weather. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine what that would do to, to my poor Haitian body. But can you see why I'm so puzzled? With all the uncertainty, with all the associated risks, with all the warning signs, not to mention it costs 70 plus thousand just to climb it with a guide. And that, I mean, that's probably minimum. Why would anyone want to climb this mountain? Why would anyone want to go about it and just to say, yes, I've summited Everest? I mean, they're quite literally risking it all. And I just got this uneasiness about me. And I think that's what got me interested is just trying to understand as I'm looking at these stories of many people that have gone up there and uh, unfortunately come to their demise, just looking at their background, their stories, their hopes in trying to do this, just this, this uneasiness about me thinking, man, do I have something in my life that I'm willing to die for the same way that these individuals are doing it? And many of us will never attempt such a feat but we can relate to the thought behind someone who would attempt such a feat. So what's the prize that you're pursuing in your life? What's the prize in your life, the most important thing in your life right now, that is worth losing everything for? Is it success? Is it money? Is it happiness? Is it your family? Your career? And let me just say, none of those things are inherently bad. Um, in my short 25 years of life, all of those have gripped my heart. What we're going to see today is that, is that Jesus tells us that there is such a prize, a prize of infinite value that is worth our full and complete surrender to God. So let's turn to Matthew 13, 44. And all throughout this chapter, actually, I'll, as you guys are turning there, I'll, I'll just start, I'll keep speaking. But all throughout this chapter, we see that Jesus is talking about, uh, about his kingdom. So all the verses prior, talking about his kingdom. And and the way in which he's going about it, he's, he's speaking about his kingdom with parables. He's using parables to convey his message, which leads one to ask, why is Jesus using parables? Or what are parables, first of all, and, and why is Jesus using them? So we have a couple of points. Um, so first, parables are short stories that represent kingdom truths. They're spoken in the common language of the day, which is, which makes it often memorable. They're simple in language, but deep in meaning. They're confusing to some and life-altering to others. And parables follow the progression of picture, mirror, and window. So diving in, parables are short stories that represent kingdom truths. So if we think back to... Um, to that uh, uh, thir Matthew 13, uh, verse 44 verse. 
It reads, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had bought. So before digging into this parable, just to, to go over the notes that, or the bullet points that we just listed. So short, often fictional stories that Jesus used to represent kingdom truths. And these were kingdom truths because they were challenging to the thoughts of the day. They were paradigm shifting. We see on the second point, they were spoken in the common language of the day. So Jesus lived in an agricultural setting. So most of his imagery and similes were reflective of such a surrounding. Simple in language, but deep in meaning. As previously mentioned, these were kingdoms, kingdom truths. So although they were simplistic in verbiage, there, were, there was always a deeper meaning behind them. And that meaning did not immediately manifest to those who heard it. Confusing to some and life-altering to others. So Jesus was speaking to two crowds. Those who were self-righteous and hardened of heart, and those who were meek and humble in heart. See, the self-righteous ones, most of whom were Pharisees, were also know-it-alls. So everywhere Jesus went, everywhere Jesus was teaching, they followed, and they didn't go for the same reasons as everybody else. They just went to accuse and to, and to accuse him of committing heresy and to cast doubt among the crowds. But Jesus was ready for them. And in his readiness, he was also sensitive to the ones that were genuinely seeking him out. So that deeper meaning that we spoke about, it didn't connect with the Pharisees. Not only did it not connect with the Pharisees, but it confused them. But the ones who were true followers, this was life-changing. And although they didn't fully conceptualize what was being said to them, they sought after Christ and found out what the, what the deeper meaning was. Like I mentioned, parables follow the progression of picture, mirror, and window. So parables, they, they paint this picture of ideas, thoughts, or realities, which then compels us to be introspective and look at our lives and see, man, is what's being shown here, is that reflective of the way I'm living? But Jesus always had a window that gave you a clear view of what he is expecting in what he is doing so that we could be more like him. So the parable that we're looking at today, it goes back to our main question. What's the prize that you're pursuing in your life? So in verse 44, we see that Jesus likens his kingdom to that of a prize. Reading it again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. So what does this parable tell us? I believe it's telling us that the prize of the kingdom and the joy that it brings is worth our full and complete surrender to God. 
I think it's doing this by highlighting, highlighting these three points. So the kingdom of God is priceless in value. The kingdom of God is the source, the only source of true joy. And the kingdom of God has a high cost. So the kingdom of God is priceless in value. So what we see in the verse is that this individual finds something of such worth, both of these individuals find something of such worth, of such great value that they are willing to lose their entire life. They're willing to give everything up in their entire life because everything is deemed worthless if they don't have what it is that they've just laid their eyes upon. So 1 Peter starting at... um, 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So let's just pause there. I think about the prize that are competing for my heart. Money. It will spoil Career, achievements, those will fade. Family. And if we think about our family, extended and nuclear family and extended, all of them have let us down. In one form or another, our families have let us down. And I think about my immediate family, I think about my wife and two daughters. And I pray that I never become that prize to them because I will disappoint them. I will let them down. But there is a prize that will never perish, never never spoil, nor will it ever fade. It's priceless. The kingdom of God is priceless. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The prize of the kingdom and the joy that it brings is worth your full and complete surrender to God. So we see that the kingdom is the source of real joy. So picking up from where we left off, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, next slide. That first Peter slide. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I don't think it's a stretch to say that to truly appreciate joy, you have to understand pain and brokenness. And if there's anything that we all in this room have in common, that is pain and brokenness. So many summers ago, I used to work on rental properties. My job was just to help fix them up, usually following an eviction. This is important because there's an in-between period from whence the notice is given when the tenants have to vacate the property. There's a period of time that they have to get their their stuff in order. And and at that time, the owners will repossess the home and and, uh, 
eventually gained back full possession. One thing I learned about that period of time, the, the in-between period, is that it's often full of destruction. I can remember this one time when I walked into this home, and as I mentioned, it was following an eviction, and I was just shocked. The place was just unlivable. Damaged property, damaged material, filth everywhere. The tenants, out of anger, destroyed everything. And guys, that's the world in which we live. God created for us this beautiful paradise. Then sin crept in. And now the enemy is bent on destroying everything and he won't stop until everything is completely destroyed. We are living in the in-between. Depravity. Wars. Sorrow. And on a personal level, depression. Sickness and disease. Hurt. Disappointment. We are indeed living in the in-between. But what brings me great joy, the only thing that can bring me joy in the face of all of this is knowing that God is coming back one day. And when he does, he will take back, he will repossess what is his, and he will take time to bring everything to full and complete restoration. That brings me great joy. The hopes of that day, that brings me great joy to know that no longer Will, will things just be like this? No longer will, will we see the brokenness that we are experiencing today, this morning. Brings me joy to know that no longer will we be experiencing hurt. No longer will we experience depression, crippling depression. No longer will we experience sickness or diseases. One thing that I'm particularly sensitive to is injustice. And no longer will we be victims of or witness of injustices. That brings me great joy. Even greater, not only am I joyful of hopes of that day, but we can also rejoice in our reality today. And Luke, Jesus tells us that his kingdom is within our midst, so all that will be restored in heaven, we have access to today. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The same things that will be experienced in heaven with his Holy Spirit, those things can, will, and are being experienced today. That brings me great joy. Romans 14, 17 tells us that for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in his kingdom... We find peace amidst the wars. We find joy amidst the sorrow. And we find righteousness amidst the depravity. I am joyful in knowing that God is and will bring things to, to full restoration. The prize of the kingdom and the joy that it brings is worth your full and complete surrender to God. The kingdom of God has a high cost. So let's just make sure we're on the same page. There is nothing that we can do to purchase or obtain the kingdom. We can't work towards it. 
because it's not, it's not something that you can purchase or buy for it says in Romans 6.23, it's a free gift for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the kingdom can't be purchased and neither is the parable suggesting that you can purchase it. See, in our understanding of parables, we know that they are spoken in simplistic format but maintain an eternal truth. And seeking after the Lord, he reveals that to us. He reveals the truth within. This is something that's, that's not made apparent to all who hear it. The Pharisees look at this parable, and in their heart and hearts, they think, yeah, we could do something to, to purchase the kingdom. We can work towards getting to what he's talking about. But let's look at verse 45, the parable of the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. So the merchant is on a quest. He's on a quest to find pearls of value. It doesn't explicitly say what he's looking or what pearl specifically he's looking for, nor does he know exactly that there's going to be this pearl of infinite value. He just knows that there's value out there and he needs to go obtain it. Given the context, it's safe to assume that he's coming across many pearls of value, none of which are halting his search until that one. But let's focus on what he did when he came across that one. He sold everything that he had. What does that mean? Let's consider what a merchant does and what a merchant is. A merchant buys and trades commodities in pursuit of wealth. It's more than that, however, it's a way of life because a merchant was never confined to one place. With their merchandise, they traveled about place to place at times, nations, different continents to engage in commerce. In the parable, we see that the merchant in question comes across a pearl of such value, one of great value, that he sells everything. So think about that. His belongings, all his merchandise, sold it. He's literally forsaking his way of life for that one pearl. He's surrendering it all. Surrendering it all because at that point he realizes that the prize of the kingdom and the joy that it brings is worth surrendering everything. That's the cost being referenced in this parable. Complete and full surrender to the saving grace of our Lord Christ Jesus. For some of us this morning, we've yet to make that decision. Instead, we're seeking out joy in perishable prizes. Success, career, happiness, family. Jesus is calling you to surrender. Simply put, it's saying, I'm done trying to rely on myself and making perishable things the Lord of my life. It's saying, God, I realize that I think I know what's best, as most of us tend to think. But you who created me have a specific plan for me, and this morning I'm ready to start walking in that plan. And for others, that's realizing that although we have completely and fully surrendered our life to, to Jesus and we are experiencing the joy of being in relationship with him, he has more for us yet. 
So what does it look like to grow in greater levels of surrender? Because what he has for us requires daily and continual surrender as believers. Is there a prize in your life that's holding you back from experiencing greater levels of joy in his kingdom? Is there an area in your life that requires surrender? For us, the Francois, it was time. And that's among a host of other things, but time. About three years ago, my wife and I, along with some dear friends of ours, started to live missionally. The idea was that the Francois, we the Francois, were going to live in community with our friends, the Menzies, and for a period of time, Zach Zeno. And we want to follow the example that Jesus set in that he sent out the 72 in pairs, and he sent them out to go and make disciples. So we did that. Living missionally and doing things as family units, this meant sharing our resources, being in weekly prayer with each other, and intertwining our lives as much as we possibly could. And every Sunday, we were intentional about about inviting people that the Lord had placed on our hearts, people of peace, to join in that community. Now, I'm not telling you about our missional community community because I think we're perfect. Uh, Quite the contrary, we've made a lot of mistakes. I'm detailing this because we represent a living example. And we rejoice in what God has done in spite of our failures. Another quick thing to note, living missionally missionally and, and living in community has several contexts and looks different for many others. For some, it's, it's two family units living together, possibly under the same roof. Heck, if it was up to Brian Menzi, that would be us living under the same roof. But it's not up to Brian. <laughs> For some, it's doing what Rebecca just shared, inviting individuals from the continents around the world, inviting them into your home, into what you're already doing. For some, it's being neighborly. It's taking the time to be intentional with a coworker, with a friend, with a family member. It's going after the one that exudes peace but is desperate for hope. It's inviting people into what we're already doing. Family dinners, service projects. Because as believers, I know we, are, we often tend to think, man, we are wretched and no one wants to see what we're doing. No one wants to be a part of what we're doing. But God's telling you that you're the light of the world. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what he's done through you. So invite and extend. The ones around you, they're desperate for hope. So how has living missionally played out for the Francois and Menzies? Well, when we started about three years ago, I was a full-time student at Ball State. Shandy, Brian's wife, was full-time at Purdue. Mind you, she was pregnant during that time. My days consisted of three-hour commutes to Muncie and back while managing some part-time jobs here in Fort Wayne. There was also a period of time where Alice and my wife, she was commuting to Marion, Indiana for her full-time position. In the process, both couples had children. The Menzies welcomed Georgia and we, Emberly. Shaney graduated from undergrad, but Brian and I both decided to go back for grad school. 
As if things weren't tight with one child each, uh, both couples welcomed more children into the mix. So we welcomed Estelle and the Menzies welcomed Theo. In all this, we devoted the little time we had left to living missionally and trusting that God could do something with the little bit that we were offering. And I'm not telling you this to boast. I'm actually giving you a recipe to what can lead to a failed attempt at living missionally. This was tough. Speaking for me and for us, the Francoise, this put a strain on every aspect of our lives and relationship. I wanted to give that part of my life up. I want to take back that time daily. There were many times where we didn't see the value in what we were doing. But by the grace of God, we got through it and we continue to meet today. Let me tell you that the joy that we've experienced is incomprehensible. As a family, we grew to to understand a new definition of family. God blessed us with greater capacity, more than what we could have ever imagined. We grew in our ability to be fully reliant on God. Uh, One of the biggest areas was obviously time, but also in finances, parenting, the list goes on. We grew in faith and we've seen many of our friends hear and respond to the gospel, two of whom were baptized last year on this very stage. I think that's worth a celebration. Yeah. So we think back to the parable, we see this picture of two individuals giving up everything for this prize and that prize is the kingdom of heaven and the joy that they will experience in being part of that kingdom. We're then forced to think about and identify the areas in our life, the prizes in our life that that, that are just competing for that number one spot. In addition to giving us examples, God gives us several opportunities. And this morning is no exception. So let's take that next step and surrender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, and we are thankful that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross for us. So God, we praise you for that. And Lord, I ask if anyone here in this room does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would meet them where they're at and that they would come to know who you are. We pray this in your name, amen.